Sometimes you can't go no contact because you're co-parenting or just not ready yet to cut off a family member, a partner, or a friend. Maybe you feel stuck in the environment of abuse for now. If that's the case, you'll need to master the technique of responding versus reacting so you can hold yourself together enough to eventually get out. In the case of co-parenting, unfortunately, you're probably obligated by law to be in minimal contact for a long time. So you'll need to master this important technique if you want to take some power back and manage the narcissist or other abuser as best as possible. Your mastery of responding instead of reacting will also benefit your kids as well as anyone new that you want to let into your life. One of the narcissist's biggest tools is using words and actions to provoke you to emotionally react. They invite you to step out of integrity with their provocations. When you react emotionally, you feed the narcissist and they get stronger. Your emotional reaction is narcissistic supply. Listen to that again. Your emotional reaction is narcissistic supply. In this episode, you're going to learn about what is responding versus reacting, why it's useful, and how to do it. Responding instead of reacting is a life skill, not just for recovery after narcissistic abuse. It will help you throughout your life to maintain your power and not react in an emotional way because there will always be people who will try to push your buttons. This is Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. What is responding versus reacting? Well, it's like the gray rock technique, where you're being boring, dull, nothing emotional whatsoever, you know, whether positive or negative. You're unopinionated, uninteresting, and uninterested. It's also about pausing for a moment to respond from an empowered state of self-control instead of emotionally reacting. It's about not taking the bait, which is the provocation, whether it's overt or covert. It's about owning self-responsibility and integrity so you still feel good about yourself later. At the beginning of the relationship, abusers are testing you to gauge your reaction to what they do. They always start small and escalate from there based on your boundaries and reactions or responses to their increasingly less subtle provocations. Then, the abuser will focus on your reaction to the abuse rather than the abuse that took place. This misdirection technique gets you to focus on your reaction too, so you forget about the abuse and start going on the defensive. They love to catch you on the defensive, defending yourself from false accusations, lies, slander, or defending your emotional reactions to their abuse. This is how you get caught in the trap. They love to see you get upset and waste loads of time and energy going around and around and around in circular conversations, especially when it comes to your attempts at vindicating yourself. Now, it can also happen that you're tricked into reacting emotionally in a positive way, feeding the narcissist with positive narcissistic supply. We often only hear about the emotional reactions that victims have to the devaluation aspects of the abuse 
And it's important to mention the idealization aspects of abuse because these are also about provocation and emotional reaction. This is when you fall for the trap of love bombing or idealization and you don't realize that it's hollow, empty, shallow, and fake. It makes you confused and think that this person really does care about you or has your best interests in mind at least some of the time when that's actually just part of the abuse cycle. Of course, this love bombing trap happens more intensely at the beginning of the relationship, but later they'll still dose you with occasional love bombing to keep you hooked amidst all the devaluation. If you haven't heard my podcast episode and videos on why love bombing is so dangerous, check that out so you don't fall into this trap. The bottom line is that the difference between reacting and responding is mindfulness. When an external stimulus happens and you react impulsively in an emotional way, you haven't thought about the consequences. You're not present. You're not focused. You're just having a knee-jerk reaction to a provocation. Mindfulness and responding create empowerment. Reacting makes you look bad. It takes you out of integrity. You could even get in trouble with the law. And at the very least, the focus becomes you and what you did instead of the actual abuse that took place. Reacting is the surest way to lose to the narcissist. Reacting is giving your power away and responding is empowering yourself by not getting caught in that trap. Now, if you still think that yelling, slamming doors, breaking things, defending yourself verbally until you're blue in the face are signs of power, then you haven't learned about empowerment yet. Your response is your responsibility. When you understand that reacting is giving away your power, then you can understand how to maintain your empowerment. Choose your response consciously to stay in integrity and to own your power. Why is respond versus react so useful? Narcissists and other abusers are constantly on the prowl for your reaction. Sometimes they want positive fuel from you and sometimes negative. They need constant narcissistic supply, which is the energetic and emotional currency that feeds them and makes them stronger. Your emotional reaction feeds the manipulator with narcissistic supply, so you'll notice the ways that they're always provoking some kind of emotional reaction from you. Why do abusers do this trick? Well, it usually works. I think at a very primal level, they learn where they get fuel once, they will keep returning to that food source until they're sure it's run dry. If you react emotionally, they'll win and manipulate you into doing what they want, so you end up surrendering your power in the process. Essentially, they train you to become like Pavlov's dog, reacting unconsciously to the external stimulus. Reactive abuse makes you look bad. This is when you react to their abuse, and now you become part of the problem, and then they can easily point toward your reaction and try to ignore their own actions. Abusers love to engineer these kinds of situations. Keep your eye out for an upcoming episode on reactive abuse. Responding instead of reacting helps you opt out of the traps that abusers will set for you. This trap has a very predictable pattern. 
When you learn how to recognize that pattern from a mile away, you can make conscious choices to not react as they're hoping you will. So what is this pattern of the narcissist trap? It's three stages. First, the provocation, then the reaction, and finally, the solution. The provocation is one of the biggest tools of the abuser. This could be fabricated with words or actions or even inactions. For example, they falsely accuse you of doing or being something that you're not doing or being. That, of course, might be a projection. Like, let's say you bring up something that they're doing that's unacceptable, and then they turn it around on you and say, you know what, actually, you're doing that to me. Actually, I feel that way about you. When that's not the case at all, but then you end up defending yourself and wasting hours of your time and energy resolving nothing, only to feel exhausted and depleted later, which then makes you an even easier target. Maybe they try to provoke your fear by orchestrating a scenario that causes you to be afraid and demand that something be done, and then they step in as the false hero, but instead of protecting you, they take a greater degree of control over you. Or maybe they say or do something that they know is going to make you angry. They're hoping that you react in a way that makes you look bad, losing your shit and losing your integrity in the process so they can then turn the tables on you while acting like they didn't do anything wrong and you're the one with the problem. Of course, their trap doesn't just end there. They will hold that against you and keep reminding you of it, telling everyone they know about it, shaming you in front of others about it. It's a continual, ongoing source of narcissistic supply. Later in this episode, I'm going to get into some specific methods of provocation that abusers will use and how to respond instead of reacting. Just remember, they want your emotional reaction for this pattern to work. That could be anger, yelling, throwing something, slamming a door, hitting an object, crying, calling your family or friends to talk about it loudly in front of them so they'll hear you, continuing to argue, going on the self-defense, and on and on. Once you react, they provide the solution that they manipulated you toward. That solution could be that they blame shift to you and then you apologize for the situation that they created and were responsible for. Or maybe they guilt trip you into meeting their demands and you appease them to avoid a conflict at the expense of your peace and well-being. Maybe you've noticed how you fawn and start people-pleasing by meeting their whims and desires. Maybe they make you afraid so you give up more control to them, thinking that they'll take care of you and protect you. Maybe you start internalizing what they're saying, so you start thinking that you're a bad person, that you're the narcissist, that you're unworthy, that no one else will ever be able to love you or tolerate you. So you dig your heels in deeper to the relationship and strengthen the trauma bond. As you can see, all of the solutions they provide for you are not in your favor. None of them are win-win situations. They're all based on a zero-sum game that you will always lose if you emotionally react as they want you to. This pattern of provocation-reaction-solution is the same thing that happens in the news. They create stories based on a mix of truth and lies then spin it in a way to provoke your emotional response. And of course, they can predict your behavioral reaction. Then 
the powers that be offered the solution, which they were planning all along. Society falls right into those traps. It's so sad to watch narcissistic abuse happen on a societal level because this is how abusive politicians and corporations maintain their power and people end up unknowingly participating in their own victimization. How does that go? So let's say you're watching the news and the message that you get is fear, 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 right? Then the people react with something like, oh my God, do something. Then the powers that be step up and they say, no worries, everything's under control. We'll just go ahead and take away more of your civil rights with these new laws and abuses of privacy, but you'll be safer, really. The worst kind of totalitarianism isn't the coup that suddenly invades a country and it's really blaringly obvious what's going on. Instead, it's the slow slide toward totalitarianism, like the proverbial frog in a pot of water. If you throw that frog into the boiling pot of water, it's going to jump right out. The worst part is that slide is so slow that people don't realize it's happening, just like the frog who slowly cooks to death as the temperature is gradually turned up. Whether this is on an interpersonal level, in your family, in a social group, at work, or at the societal level, the key is not to give them the reaction. They are counting on that, and the trick doesn't work when you opt out of the pattern. Choose your response consciously. Your response is your freedom of choice. This is why it's empowering to respond instead of react. I'm going to teach you a simple format to change the game by interrupting that pattern of problem-reaction-solution. Here are three steps to respond instead of reacting. Number one, as soon as the problem happens, pretend you didn't notice the provocation and start breathing. Breathe deeply three times. This gives you some time and distance to get more present and mindful. Meanwhile, you act like it ain't no thing. It didn't upset you at all and you didn't notice their game of provocation. Number two, become grounded in your body. Notice the emotion in your body. What does it feel like? Where is it in your body? This helps you to stop the knee-jerk reaction. The more present you are, the more tools and resources you have. Number three, ask your logical brain. What would be the consequences if I react in that way? If you don't want to react in the same way that's going to get you in trouble over and over again, then make a different choice to respond. It's your choice. Now, I want to teach you some specific ways of responding, which is the action that comes with step three that I just mentioned. All of these tactics to respond are ways of deflecting the poison they throw at you. I'm going to give you specific examples of how to respond to 14 different kinds of provocations that narcissists typically use. The first one is inaction, which is usually passive aggression. They're constantly leaving you hanging, not following through with their promises and responsibilities, quote, forgetting, etc. Now, if this is about them failing to meet the requirements of your custody agreement, like picking up your kids or taking them for the weekend, you need to document every infraction of the custody legal agreement. Now, in the moment, you're going to have to figure out how to pick up the kids or send someone that you trust to get them if you're tied up at work or something. 
then call your attorney or the authorities if necessary without warning the abuser. Never fire warning shots. Don't start talking to them about how they always do that and how unreliable they are and how difficult this makes life for you. Zip! Then take legal action swiftly if this is about them failing to meet their responsibilities to take care of your kids. Now, if this is about them failing to handle another kind of responsibility like paying the bills, picking something up from the store, running an errand, etc., you got to learn to stop delegating anything more to them unless you want more headaches and crises. They're always going to engineer those last-minute crises because of their inaction. So if it happens, handle the problem as best as you can. Maybe that's paying that overdue bill right away, going without whatever you wanted from the store that they didn't get, or go get it yourself if you can, or order delivery. Do not remind them how upset you are about that because that only teaches them how to piss you off again. It's like giving them the keys to your emotional reaction. The next category is last minute changes to the schedule. If they're trying to change a last minute date or a friendly gathering, and you notice this is a pattern that keeps happening, and maybe before you would rearrange your schedule and accommodate them, Once you realize you want to stop reacting to that, you can say something like, sorry, I'm not available then, meaning the new time they propose, but let's catch up sometime soon. Now, if that's a pattern, don't set aside any more prime time on your schedule for them and don't make an immediate suggestion of another time. If you want to see them, you can make some last-minute plans with them when you know that you have nothing better to do. And since you're not a priority to them, last-minute planning isn't going to mess up your week or hurt your self-respect. However, if that's an ongoing pattern, hopefully you start to realize that person doesn't value you and it's best to be alone than hanging out with someone like that. So eventually, the best response is, you just drop the ball. You just stop making plans to hang out with that person. The next category is the silent treatment. So this is when they punish you when you set a boundary or called them out or didn't do something that they wanted, and they start ignoring you for a long period of time. The most important thing is don't chase them. Don't contact them. Resist all urges to reach out to them because you're going to want to so bad. Instead... Act like you didn't even notice that they're not there, that they're not contacting you. That means you need to get busy doing you and doing your thing. When they do come back in contact, act like it was no big deal and don't respond immediately. Let them blow up your phone if they will and you get back to them when you feel like it. Proceed with caution because when someone gives you the silent treatment, that's going to be a pattern over the long term. If they think you didn't notice their absence, they might work harder to make sure you notice them now by provoking you with any of the following tactics. So be cautious not to fall into them. The next category is indirect digs and jokes at your expense or false concern. So when they do this kind of stuff, you want to ignore it or say something like, hmm, or that's interesting, or act like You didn't get the joke and ask a literal and curious question to get them to explain and say the underhanded words directly to you, which likely they won't. Covert types who use indirect digs and indirect jokes like that 
are cowards, and usually they won't spell out the abuse since that would remove their plausible deniability. They'll usually say something like, oh, never mind, or you just won't get it, and just go ahead and ignore whatever that is. If it's false concern, meaning they're wrapping an indirect dig or joke in something that sounds like concern, you can say something like, hmm, or thanks for your concern. Or you can ask one of those curious questions if you want them to spell it out, like, I'm not sure what you're trying to say. What do you mean? And again, they're rarely going to spell it out to you. But if in case they actually do, they will reveal their true colors to you. And if, of course, they say something really mean and really direct to your face, you can either completely ignore it, walk away, hang up, or just say something like, hmm, and that's it. The next category is baiting. This is when they say something in code like, oh, after the day I've had, to get you to start asking questions so they can tell you whatever drama they're dying to tell you about and suck up all your energy into. Don't ask them about their day. Just say something like, oh, that's too bad. Or maybe they say something like, that reminds me of something crazy that happened today. And your response could be something like, hmm, or what a coincidence. Now, you want to start moving your body out of there because they'll often use these black hole tactics to dump it on you anyways. So you want to start moving your way out of their proximity or getting off the phone or making an excuse to stop texting back to them. And that could be something like, sorry, I've got to go. Sorry, the kids are calling me. You know, I really need to finish up some work. Or I need to get to bed now so I can be well rested for tomorrow. The next category is dog whistling. This is when they use any of the other tactics like indirect digs or inside jokes or false concern and things like that to abuse you in front of an audience. That could be like at a work meeting, at a social event, or at the family dinner table. What you want to do is ignore the provocation. Act like you didn't hear the abuse just like everyone else. Because remember, the dog whistle, only the dog hears, right? It's a certain frequency. So when they say those things, they know that's just a certain thing that only you will hear as abuse and no one else recognizes as abuse. I have a whole video on that on YouTube if you want to see more. So you're going to go ahead and act like you didn't hear the abuse just like everyone else. Maybe if the situation is appropriate, you might want to make a light joke. Or you could focus on your food or your phone or another task at hand. Like maybe it's time to wash the dishes or take care of the kids or take the dog out. Depending on the situation, you might opt to segue into another subject with a question or an engaging topic for others if you're at a family dinner table, for example, or even at a work meeting. The next category is false accusations. So, you know what this is. You hear it all the time. It's so important to not go on the defensive. That's what they want. Don't internalize it because if you internalize it and you believe it, it's like you're going to have this automatic reaction to start defending yourself. Instead, remind yourself silently that that is a lie and own your reality. You can say something like, I'm sorry you see it that way. Or maybe one of the false accusations is name calling. You know, maybe they say to you, you're such a bitch. Well, in response, you could say, that's possible or could be or even that's interesting. And that's it. The next category is bulldozing boundaries. 
this is when they directly, aggressively mow down your boundaries and expect you to go along with it. You need to exit that space immediately or hang up. Drop the ball entirely. Stop engaging. Let them talk to the silence, baby. The next category is guilt tripping or shaming of boundaries. Now, this is the more covert strategy of boundary disrespect. Ignore the invitation to feel shame or guilt for setting a boundary. Don't go on the defensive or start explaining why you have that boundary, why it's necessary. Remember, explanations for manipulators are just invitations to keep negotiating on your boundaries. Remind yourself the only reason they're doing that is to covertly manipulate you out of your boundary. You can say something like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's the boundary. Sometimes you might just choose silence as the best response for example, to a whiny guilt-tripping attempt. The next category is blatant verbal abuse. This is when they're just laying into you, verbally trashing you. If that happens, all you need to say is, I'm leaving now, or I'm hanging up now. If you want to discuss this matter when you're able to have a pleasant adult conversation, we can revisit this topic. Now, if it's not something that you still want to talk about later, then simply end it with, I'm leaving, or I'm hanging up now and then follow through immediately. Do not wait for their reaction. The next category is the hit and run. This is when they say something degrading, baiting, or insulting in passing, and then they're gone into the next room or hanging up the phone or they drop it in a text bomb. Do not run after them. Do not call them back. Do not text them back. Do not bring it up later. Ignore it outwardly and inwardly have a little dialogue with yourself about it and what that means for the status of your relationship. If it's a coworker that you can't get away from and they continually hit and run past your desk, keep staring at your computer or whatever you're working on. If this is becoming a pattern of harassment, you might need to report this behavior. If you're allowed to record people without their knowledge in your local jurisdiction, then you might want to have the recording on when you see them approaching. Now be careful, because if it's not legal to record people without their awareness in your state or local municipality, then you could get in trouble. The next category is proxy wars. This is when they use third parties to pass on provocative statements like digs, jokes at your expense, or even false concern. Ward all that off, either with silence or similar responses to the category of indirect digs, jokes, and false concern. The next category is sympathy, extortion, and emotional blackmail. This is when they vomit up all their drama on you and go on and on about things that they don't actually want a solution for. What they want is narcissistic supply in the form of sympathy. So you can say something like, I'm sorry you're suffering. I really need to get back to work now. Or I really need to pick up the kids now. Or I really need to whatever. Now, you could also say something like, That sounds frustrating. What do you think you'll do about it? Because that redirects the responsibility to them. What you'll find in the long term is that the best response to this kind of tactic is no response. It's not hanging out around people like that. It's not being available to be their trash can. The last tactic is love bombing. So this is when they're throwing at you the false and hollow and shallow and empty praise or giving you things or doing things for you. And what you can say is, thanks, and that's it. 
Don't lean in and look for their approval. Don't get mushy and start swooning. Don't go on about how grateful you are that they noticed that about you. Sometimes they will mention again the compliment, like if they didn't get enough narcissistic supply the first time with your thanks, or, you know, they didn't get something back from you because remember, it's not a compliment, it's flattery, like they want something in return. So sometimes they'll say it again, whatever that compliment was, or they'll remind you of what they did for you. Do you know those people? where they keep telling you about what they did for you so that you keep thanking them over and over and over again. So if they do that tactic, just smile. You already said thank you. You don't have to keep saying it every time they try to provoke it. These tactics will help you to make choices to respond in ways that support your well-being instead of letting someone or something else drive your emotions and behavior. Expect them to escalate before giving up. They will go harder on their provocations and don't give in. Stand firm with your responses instead of reactions. They're going to likely even get desperate to get a reaction out of you. That's when you stay firm in being dull, unmoved, unopinionated, uninteresting, uninterested, and just observe their desperation. It is so important to master the tactic of responding versus reacting if you're still dealing with a narcissist or other manipulator in your life. You'll find these people in all walks of life, even randoms that you run into at stores, at events, as neighbors, etc. If you keep emotionally reacting to them, they will bankrupt you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and maybe even financially. You'll be exhausted and drained. The worst part is you'll later feel guilty because you reacted and looked crazy or abusive when you stepped out of your integrity and lowered yourself to their level. If you don't master the response, you'll end up with nothing left because they will take away the most intimate parts of yourself, like your self-worth, self-love, and self-esteem. Not to mention your sense of self, the way you perceive yourself who you perceive yourself to be. If you aren't co-parenting with the person, hopefully over time by setting these boundaries, you'll eventually start to value your self-respect more and decide to end the relationship, to leave the friendship, to quit the job, etc. If you're relating to this, check out the episode I did on Is it possible to have a relationship with a narcissist? If you've been through years or lifetime of provocations by narcissists and other abusive characters, you might feel like you've lost your sense of self. Maybe you feel like you've been trained to be so reactive to everything others do and say that you don't even know who you really are and how the real you would respond. It's totally normal that you lost your sense of self as a result of narcissistic abuse. If you were raised by a narcissist or their abuser since childhood, you might never have had the right to define your own sense of self. You were instead an extension that met the needs of that toxic parent. Check out the course, Reinventing Yourself After Narcissistic Abuse, available on my website. The direct link is in the show notes too. In this class, you'll get to discover more about what has defined you until now and who you really are through a guided self-assessment process. You'll be able to start reinventing your new sense of self so you can end the people-pleasing behavior of pretending to be someone you're not in order to make someone else happy. 
If you're looking for therapists in your area to help you recover after narcissistic abuse, you might want to check out BetterHelp. It's a portal of licensed therapists who provide affordable online therapy at your convenience. You'll see the link in the show notes. That will take you to their intake questionnaire. Be sure to select trauma and abuse as one of the areas that you want to work on so they can match you with someone who has experience in that field. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you to see from a new perspective and to start using new tools so you can take action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough. You matter. And you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at innerintegration.com where you get instant access to a free quick start guide to recovery after narcissistic abuse upon entering your name and email. You'll also find there digital courses that have already helped thousands of people move through the self-healing process. Get loads more free inner integration content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.